This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Overeem brings the steam and finishes Olenek in the first round. Four UFC athletes suspended for contaminated supplements. Benavidez surprised that Dillashaw didn't get busted sooner. And Jacare takes on Jack the Joker in Sunrise, Florida. We're joined by some great guests this week. Platinum Mike Perry, Greg Hardy both compete on that same card with Jacare and UFC Vice President of Athlete Health and Performance Jeff Nowitzki touching on these uh, athlete suspensions, why all these uh, supplements are getting contaminated, what's going on with Osterine, and uh, why it's being found in all of uh, these different products that the fighters are using. So thanks to those listening on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa or to the podcast. Tell your friends, review the show, and subscribe. And we appreciate any listener feedback you may have. You can send me a tweet at Aaron Bronstetter. Send Joe a tweet at Bazooka Joe V. I check it a lot more often than him, so don't be offended if he doesn't get back to you, but he will. Yeah, I try. I try. (laughs) Once in a while I get on and I get to do it. But uh, yeah, are there still people that rip you? Like you're not like really an active athlete right now, but are there still haters out there? Um, there's a few trolls that'll like try to critique my technique, and then like my fans on its own just they oh, take okay. over <laughs> they, for me. They, I don't they have extinguish to. The flames. I don't have to. <laughs> they speak for me. I need some. I need some Team people like Bazooka, that. Anybody want to be an Aaron? For me. Yeah, yeah. Be a, become an Aaron Bronsteader psycho fan. Oh, I love it, thrilled. man. I love it. Come on, man. Test, test, yeah. test my squad. I mean, I mean, those are the comments I like. So I was I like, oh, why don't you turn your hip over enough? Yeah. Why do you wear boxing shoes? Isn't that bad for your knees? And then people will just go hard on them. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's it. My guys step up. I but, get too protective. I get too, like, uh, yeah. defensive when people call me out for stupid stuff. Yeah. And I should just think to myself, like, just they're calling me out for something stupid. That's good. They are stupid. <laughs> so why am I responding to someone who is It just means you're there. Just, if the people want to troll you, you're doing, you're doing good know. things. Well, but, I guess so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess it's better than no no feedback at all, right? I mean, that's our type of psychology that we have. You can have a hundred nice messages and we'll focus on the one negative, yeah. right? So, I mean, I honestly, I try not to read things on YouTube. Those who enjoy well, it. Definitely you don't know? read stuff on YouTube. YouTube is, I, th- <laughs> I think YouTube is pound for pound. The it's, it's the worst. cesspool of the yeah. internet, yes. I think pound for pound, like, if you want to feel bad about yourself, read your YouTube comments. Like, Man, it's bad. Yeah, somebody warned me once, and I I read them once, and I was like, "Dear God!" <laughs> and the crazy thing is, like, people don't even respond to them. Yeah, so it's, yeah. so people are just putting out negativity. Like a lot of the time, when people troll people, I understand on social media, on Twitter, or whatever, Facebook, you're looking to get a rise out of somebody. Yeah, yeah. On YouTube, people don't even respond. So you're just putting like, uh, what was the last one I read on myself? I thought it was hilarious. Oh, this interview, this commentator um, is so bad with fashion. His watch isn't showing in his suit. I guess because when you talk, my suit was a little off where my <laughs> hand was and the cuff wasn't showing enough. So apparently I have terrible fashion style because my watch wasn't showing. Maybe you should take that as that a, was a constructive yeah. criticism. Get, like, a, right. get a different tailor. That's it. No, my tailor's good, man. He's, <laughs> he's, the, he's the good one. It's just when you put it on, you rush. I didn't get to fix it, but he called me out on it. So now I'm self-conscious. Now yeah, I'm going to make exactly. sure I fix it. Damn, you got to make sure the watch is uh, figured out. That's it. But you know what? If they're critiquing your fashion, that means your analysis is good. Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. Yeah. If that's the issue, I'm good. But I always have nice suits, nice custom. They're all fitted. So, man, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I try to bring my fashion game to high levels also. But you have like, um, you almost have like a branded fashion, I find. You have like your thing. What would you consider that to be? Well, the bow tie. I know. I don't wear a bow tie. Sometimes. You never. used to. No, never. You never wore a bow tie. And I'll tell you why. I thought you did when in your original interviews. No. I never wore a bow tie. Was it a tie then? A skinny yeah, tie? Yeah, I wear skinny ties. Okay, skinny but, tie. But bow tie, skinny tie is kind of one of my trademarks. But I have bow ties, like good bow ties. Okay. And I always say, if I start wearing a bow tie, I'm going to be the, become the, the bow tie guy. 
Like Ken yeah, Rosenthal. Yeah, you have to have Ken your Rosenthal thing. covers baseball, and he always wears a bow tie. If I start wearing a bow tie, there's no going back. Yeah, People no. are going to expect the bow tie. Absolutely. I would say the checkered shirt for you. Checkered shirt is usually the checkered shirt to you. Yeah. I would say the skinny tie and the glasses. Well, the glasses are part of my. But it's my, yeah, I don't, but you I don't need really them to see. Look, but, but it's yeah. part of your staple. Yeah. I, your I don't know, and it, yeah, it just people found it weird you. when I stopped wearing the glasses for a couple of interviews. Yes, yeah, because it's your thing. Yeah, it's your thing. I'm back now. You've become my life's become you. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a new. Uh, I always wear pink shoes also, but nobody sees explain, that on TV. Really? Yeah, that's your thing too. Yeah. All right. When I'm backstage, people recognize the pink there's shoes. There's this new journalist that keeps popping up. He talks with a ton, funny voice. Yeah, yeah the schmo. People yeah, think yeah. that I'm the schmo. Really? They think that we look alike. Because I was gonna say his glasses is his thing, and then yeah. the way he talks and he presents. But, uh, Do people but, take him seriously? On. Is my question. Here's, here's the thing about his glasses that's actually crazy that people don't know about. This is behind the scenes schmo information okay. for the most macro of fans of the sport that know who we're talking <laughs> yeah. about. If you don't look up the schmo, he's a funny guy. He doesn't wear the glasses obviously when he's not doing the interviews and he can't do his shtick without the glasses. Like if you ask him to do the schmo No, he has to have he has to. Ha- he says I put the glasses on and transform into the character but I can't do it without them. Yeah. Which is kind of it's kind of Because I, mean, I, I saw him ask a question to Dana and Dana was like what the heck, you big yeah. schmo? Like, and, yeah. I, and I thought he was insulting the guy, yeah. but then I re- later found out that was his name, and I guess Dana was playing fun with it. So what happened after that, actually, to Dana's credit, because the schmo sent me a text. I, I know the schmo. He, oh, sent you me got a, some... he sent me a text on the Saturday of Fight, of fight Night, and he goes, do you think Dana's mad at me? Yeah. I said, no, Dana. <laughs> I go, no, Dana's got a sense of humor. Yeah, and then yeah. when I got to the venue... I see a video pop up, and it's the Schmo getting a one-on-one with Dana because yeah, Dana yeah, felt that bad that he dismissed the guy. Yeah, Dana yeah. requested so Dana requested to have an interview with the Schmo because he made fun of yeah. him and laughed at him. Yeah, yeah. So that's the funny. Schmo didn't request the interview. Dana White went out of his way to request an interview with this guy. Yeah, I actually, which is actually kudos I to him. I saw him right? on YouTube after, and the guy was getting hundreds and thousands of views. So whatever he's doing is working. Right. Yeah. Shout he really made Schmo, a name for himself man. by yeah. being in character at the press conference. Yeah. And that voice is unique. Like, you'll hear him right away, and like, boom, there it's you go. The you know, with him. the pro. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So there you go. He tried to steal your glasses trick, and he's taking off with it. Yeah. If he's in Toronto, I'll, I can set you up with him. You can do a Schmo interview. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> now, he likes apparently, to, he does, I'm a huge he does Schmo interact- fan. Now. Well, he does interactive cage stuff, too. He puts on like a, like a singlet. Like a full body suit and like does, does stuff with like he was in the cage with Dillashaw and like Dillashaw right. took him down. Maybe down. I could low stuff. kick him a few times and get well, a video yeah, out of him. Uh, he would probably let you, but I I know <laughs> I'd feel bad for him if he does. That's funny, but yeah, I'm a big schmo <laughs> fan now. Apparently, all right, there you go. Uh, and yeah, people are like, "Are you is the schmo your alter ego?" Or do you? I go watch the press conference. I ask the questions directly before him. Yeah. So yeah. unless I'm like Superman, and I appreciate you giving me that kind of credit, I can't do that kind of a wardrobe yeah. change that quickly. At least people are noticing. That's yeah, a good thing. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so, well, they're not noticing me, they're noticing him. Uh, <laughs> UFC St. Petersburg is this past week. I will just talk about it a little bit quickly with uh, Overeem. But uh, I wanted to get your take on it because Olenek was throwing a lot of heat at him early on. And yeah, throwing a lot of volume. Good. And uh, Overeem looked like he was doing uh, the shell. The, the shell. What do you call it? The shell. The yeah. shell. I call it the shell. And that's the number one thing I'll tell my fighters not to do. Never shell up in fighting. If you shell up, it's the, probably the worst thing you can okay, do. Okay, because that's what I'm so, going to ask you about. Do not shell up. It's a terrible idea, especially in MMA. In, in, in kickboxing, in, in, in regular boxing, the shell is good because you have bigger gloves. Oh, so when just, I'm shelling so my head. MMA. Yeah, because of the small gloves. Like uh, it was more of like a, it's so easy to land in the small glove. You don't want to stay in that position. So in MMA, it's safer to be outside or or clinched up. You don't want to stay in that mid range in your shell. So a lot of what I teach is to get people to shell. Once they shell up, you kick the leg, the body's the body. open, yeah. the head hooks are open. And what I th- uh, Olenek was throwing was that uppercut. The uppercuts are uh, and the body shots are, are there all day. So I think Overeem. 
used it as a defense mechanism and luckily, you know, didn't get knocked out. out. (laughs) He got out alive. And I mean, um, even in the last fight, like breaking down technique, like uh, my Malcolm Gordon fight against the Shervatov fight, he shelled up and that was the one thing. Like he was hurt. So that's when, you know, we worked on crashing distance, grabbing, clinching. You have to do something. You can't just stay in a shell. So um, Why why did it work for Overeem then? I just think it just happened because it allowed him to get into the tie clinch. And so Overeem is all a tie clinch near, right? So if you're a heavyweight fighter yep. and you're facing a guy like Olenek who you know doesn't have one-punch knockout power, yep. is the shell actually, uh, can it be an effective defense because you know that they're probably going to be throwing a lot of volume at you. Nothing they're going to hit you with is really going to hurt you that badly. You know that it's a guy that targets the head more than the body. Could he have recognized that having trained with him in the past? I don't think so. No. A lot <laughs> of those instinct, shots probably. are hurt, man. A lot of those shots, and could be his instinct from kickboxing, right? And, I mean, being a heavyweight, you can't move as much. So one way to avoid the shell is to move your feet. But if you're a bigger guy who doesn't used to, not used to moving his feet, it can be dangerous. But in, in, if I was coaching over him for that fight, it would be more use your jab. As soon as he steps into your mid-range, pop your jab, pop your jab, keep your space. Olenek needs to come in to hit you. Stay long, pump the jab, mix in some of your kicks, and then use your knees in the clinch. That would have been the game plan. But he ended up getting those knees, which were beautiful, off of that tie clinch. Nice round knees, well set up. That's the Overeem we know. Back-to-back first-round wins over Russians. So Overeem's uh, yeah. back, getting back into the I just don't mix. like the shots that he took early, man. I mean, Yeah, he did take big shots. He took some big shots early. But, I mean, apparently he's still got a fantastic chin, which is surprising. You know, this card, even though it didn't have a lot of star power, was a really, really fun one. Especially if you're looking at a lot of the up-and-coming prospects, like uh, Mikhail uh, Oleksiejczyk early on in the card. Looks like he's really good. Magomed Mustafayev, two-and-a-half-year layoff, uh, layoff comes out. Wheel kicks a guy in Fiziev who a lot of people were very high on. Um, this guy, Movsar uh, Evloev, looks really good. Looks like a really, really high-level wrestler. Um, he got a point deducted, and that's the only reason he didn't have 3027s across the board and 3026. Uh, and then you saw what Roxanne Modafferi did to Antonina Shevchenko, kind of weathered the storm with the Muay Thai, got takedowns, and was successful there. So, um, you know, and Sergei Pavlovich, who lost to Overeem last, uh, did a really good job of bouncing back uh, with a win over Marcelo Gomes that I think was kind of tailor-made to get him into the win, win column because his main event fight with Overeem was not an easy task uh, when he first came, or sorry, co-main event, when he first is coming to the UFC. So uh, I just thought there was a lot to learn from that card, and that's why I like this card. And I was saying that last week uh, when we were previewing it. I said, this is one of those cards where you sit back and you just learn. Yeah, you learn yeah. what these guys have. And um, What did you think of Menchikov? I know he's got a lot of hype um, surrounding him. Menchikov? Yeah, the co-main event. Oh, Makashev. Makashev. Okay. You, you pulled a Brendan Schaub on me. Menchikov? <laughs> well, just, I don't know. He, he mispronounces things every now and then. Who's uh, Menchikov then? You made him up. I don't know. He's a fictional character. There's a Menchikov. <laughs> There's a maybe, Russian named maybe, Menchikov. Maybe in kickboxing, not in the UFC. Okay. Makashev. Makashev. Yeah. Uh, Makashev against Sarukian. Well, the thing about this fight is everybody expected Makashev to run through this guy because he's like a, a big up-and-coming guy. But if you went back and watched stuff on Sarukian, he's actually a good fighter, and he looked good, even though he had you know, two 30-27s against him. That doesn't always tell the story of a guy... Um, being able to, you know, if you watch the first round of this fight, it was very frenetic. A lot of grappling uh, back and forth. Farukian wasn't afraid of approaching the grappling against Makashev, even though that's Makashev's bread and butter. So uh, he put on a really good performance. His stock rose, uh, even though he lost that fight. And that was his debut as well, right? his debut, yeah. Took it on short notice. So uh, Makashev, the problem with Makashev is he's one of these guys that I think is going to have trouble finding. I mean, he's ranked now, he's 15, but he's going to have trouble finding Guys that want to fight him. Yeah. Being 15 is not 
a good thing because nobody above you wants to fight you. Yeah. yeah. And then the people below you, they all want to fight you because there's a ranking on the line. So all the fights you're going to get offered are going to be with guys that are ranked below you for the most part. Unless, of course, the matchmakers decide to punish somebody for not taking a fight like a Makashev. It just hit me. Dmitry Menshikov. Okay. Glory kickboxer. Okay, there you You're go. Right. Okay, so there's a Menshikov. Okay, confuse so me not, now. Now so he's I not, had to think about it. Not I stopped fictional. listening. No, Dmitry Menshikov. So if I look him up, you're not making weight. this guy up? No, he's okay. a welterweight. Right. I'll just take him From Kuzbosh gym, yes. Okay. Right, there you go. Oof. I was <laughs> okay. like, who the heck is Menshikov? It's driving me nuts. <laughs> What's getting into your brain here? Yeah, I, yeah. I stopped listening. I didn't listen to you for that last so minute a, and So it wasn't a mispronunciation. No, it's just the wrong person. So the last minute and a half, you can go back and listen to it afterwards. But Joe, that was when a, we published this. Yeah, that was uh, fight of the night, though the Makashev fight. Yeah, uh, and I don't really agree. I think what they should have done there is because you had all these really good first round finishes. You had Mustafaev, Olegzechuk. I um, agree. You give it to one you of the had Overeem. Yeah, you, and Pavlovich. Like all these one, finishes within like a minute. Like give it to those guys. Yeah, I mean, just, I agree. Uh, Sarukian versus Makashev was a good fight. It wasn't anything that was like mind blowing. Um, if anything, Modafferi and Shevchenko might have been a better fight. Uh, all right, so that's uh, St. Petersburg. Got that out of the way. But we had uh, we had four UFC athletes, and I'll talk to Jeff Nowitzki more about this. They got suspended for six months each for contaminated supplements. What do you know about this? Uh, you know, as somebody who who competes and who works with all kinds of fighters that mm-hmm. I'm sure all take supplements, or a lot of them take supplements, what's your take on supplementation in general? And what's your take on Austrian being found in these particular supplements? What do, what do you think, like, what do you make of all of this now that you saw it as regulating the Well, sport? I've always been more of um, a basic supplement guy. I'm not into pre-workouts, all this stuff that I think it's overdone. I think with good diet, good nutrition, um, I think a lot of times, like, even the multivitamins people take, like, you're taking in useless vitamins maybe that your body doesn't need and you just, you kind of pee them out, but... Um, I think with good diet, you're you're good on your own, making sure you get good protein. And, I mean, I'm more of a, a basic supplement guy. If anything, it's like a basic fish oil. Um, outside of camp, I like taking creatine, um, which could probably be tainted with a lot of stuff. But, is uh, creatine even allowed? I guess creatine's yeah, allowed. Creatine's right? allowed. Oh, okay. it's, it's prob- they say it's one of the only real supplements on the market that is the best for performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it great. I find my strength gets better, muscular endurance. I, I, I love creatine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been cycling on and off creatine for, for my whole career. Um, you do retain water, so usually during camp you cut it out anyways. Uh, but, again, I was also at a time where testing wasn't during the time. So right. I think guys now need to start doing their homework. And well, Here's what I don't understand, and I mentioned this to uh, when I was talking to Jeff Novitsky, and you'll hear this interview a little bit later on. In fact, we might just go to it in a minute. But uh, he was saying to me that – there are certain supplements that are third-party approved. They get sent off to third parties, get tested, then get put put on the market. And he says that, to his knowledge, there has not been a single third-party approved supplement that's had been been uh, contaminated. Yeah. So why don't athletes just stick with those particular supplements if they know that? Because even if you even if you didn't do anything wrong, it's not in the ingredients. Yeah, but they yeah. find that there's a trace of osterine in one of these supplements. You're still getting six months. In and Walt Harris, for example, who's a Fighting uh, on this card, or sorry, the Ottawa card coming up is uh, just got a four month suspension, and his uh, win over uh, sorry over Andre Arlovsky was overturned because of a, of a tainted supplement. So why why do people risk it? I don't know. It's a good question. Okay. Ask them. And I mean, I, but the the thing is, if you look at the most intelligent and a lot of the top ones at the sport, they're not getting busted with these. They're the ones that are doing their homework. And it's sad to say, Aaron, I mean, being around fighters my whole entire life, 
they don't do enough research on their own. Uh, you're the opposite. You of know, that. like yeah, I'm Mr. Yeah, research. Yeah, exactly. Like I would never take anything um, unless I spoke to, you know, my nutrition. I, I spoke to my manager, Costa, and my strength and conditioning coach. Like I would speak to everybody before I even took anything and to make sure. But a lot of fighters just don't do the homework. I mean, I've been around fighters who've had, you know, 50, 60 kickboxing fights asking me, you know, I don't know how to cut weight. I've is, never USADA, cut weight. I was like, just go on the internet, the learn, is, research, get better. You saw that does the work for you. Yeah. Like they have a list of safe supplements. So if, if you just print that list or have it on your phone or whatever. I think it's trusting people around you a little too much. Maybe your strength and conditioning coach is like, all right, take this, 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 and this every day. Okay, and it'll make you better. They trust the, their coaches, and then they take whatever these coaches are giving them. I mean, that could be an issue. But still, like you should still be the one saying, hey, this isn't on the list. This, you're talking about a, a your job, your career. This is something you got to – it's part of the game now. You have to start doing this. So I don't understand why or how it's still an issue. I don't get it. Well, we'll find out right now. We'll talk to Jeff Nowitzki. He's the UFC Vice President of Athlete Health and Performance, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. All right, I'm joined now by the VP of Athlete Health and Performance for the UFC. It's Jeff Nowitzki. So, Jeff, four athletes suspended for Osterine, uh, six months each. Uh, I'm curious, let me name them first. It's Augusto Mendez, Marvin Vittori, Sean O'Malley, and Nico Montano, the former women's flyweight champion. Why did all of these come down at the same time? Uh, you know, this, this the Osterine in particular, who's a substance that USADA has been looking at most recently in the last year, not only USADA, but other professional sports. I know Major League Baseball as well. And, you know, it, just to, to kind of give you a general answer here is, is really as anti-doping science advances, you know, so too will elements of a program like ours to ensure, you know, athletes are being treated as fairly as possible. Um, so this was one of those instances where, you know, it's a relatively new substance that they've been, you know, studying. And, you know, based on some of the things that they were seeing, the facts that they were seeing around some of these cases, um, they determined that um, these cases were unintentional users uses um, and resulting in, you know, six month sanction versus, you know, a potential two year sanction for the substance. So what was it that uh, made all of them come down at the same time, though, all, all four of these particular athletes? Yeah, so they were they were clearly, I mean, they didn't all happen on the same day. They were holding on to these while they, you know, kind of conducted this study into the substance. Um, you know, they wanted to resolve them all, you know, at the same time uh, because uh, they all had similar facts and circumstances. Um, so, I mean, it was purposeful on their behalf in terms of holding on to these and resolving them all at once based on their, you know, relatively new or newer understanding of this substance. Now, we're all four of these athletes using the same supplement, or is this just becoming an epidemic where Austrian is being found in all kinds of different supplements? Because all four of these were uh, athletes were all having this investigation taken, taking on at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I'm not aware of all the particulars with these four, but, you know, your, your latter kind of statement that this is an epidemic for Osterine uh, contaminations in supplement would be, you know, I would say true. It, it, we are seeing this all over the place, um, not just UFC, but other sports of contaminants at, at very low levels in supplements um, that would not necessarily cause much, if any, of a you know performance benefit, but you know based on new advances in anti-doping and you know detection sensitivity, we're starting to see more and more uh, of these cases. And it's you know I say it all the time, but 
you know, uh, due process and fairness in any anti-doping program is just as important, maybe even more important than strength and comprehensiveness of that program. And so I think this is a good example of that. How does this happen? Like, how does Austrian get into these supplements? Yeah, I mean, there there could be many ways. And, you know, I kind of go back to, to my previous career when, when I was a federal agent here in the U.S. And, you know, my, my last agency I worked for was the Food and Drug Administration, which oversaw the regulation and the enforcement of laws in the dietary supplement industry. And what I saw, I was involved in many cases in supplement companies, was a lot of the raw ingredient comes from manufacturing plants in China, which, you know, their manufacturing standards aren't as high as you would see, you know, in here in the U.S. or other countries. And so you would, you know, commonly see, you know, say for an Austrian that the manufacturing plant in China could do a run of Austrian on the machines, maybe not clean it off well enough, and then would contaminate the next product batch that went on those machines. And again, this may not have been an issue five, 10 years ago, but anti-doping science is, you know, uh, evolving really by the day in terms of detection limits that they can, um, you know, now, or the the uh, the levels that they can now detect, and um, so I think that's why we're seeing this issue that poor manufacturing processes and you know increase in in detection um, of really really small amounts of substances. So with Nico Montano, I think she came out on Instagram and said that she was unable to provide the supplement that uh, did cause I guess the, her to be flagged by USADA. Um, is it because the amount is is such a trace amount that it can pretty much be determined that you know, it was a contaminated substance. Are you able? To, are they able to figure that out just by the sheer amount that is found in a, a sample? Yeah, you, you know, in her case, again, I, I would encourage you to maybe reach out to, to her and or USADA because, you know, they deal, we're not necessarily always privy to the, you know, adjudication deliberation process. Um, but, you know, in, in my understanding of it, I think they look at many things. No two cases are necessarily the same, but they're looking at such things as, hey, when was the last time the athlete tested negative? And let's use that as a starting point. And if you have a relatively short window between that negative test and a positive test in the very low-level picogram range, which I would remind you know, your listeners, viewers, that a picogram is one trillionth of a gram. Um, it's, I mean, it's almost incomprehensible about how small amounts we're talking here. Um, so, you know, in a case like that where you have, you know, a relatively short amount of time, um, you know, combined with a super low picogram level, I think the understanding of the science now would be that, hey, this wouldn't even equate to one therapeutic dose that would give an athlete any advantage. And yeah, maybe the athlete wasn't careful enough on, you know, choosing what supplements they were using, but A, the athlete, you know, appears not to be an intentional cheater and B, you know, based on the level detected, um, they're not necessarily getting a performance advantage. Now, is the reason that they're suspended at all, if there is no wrongdoing, because they're using supplements that aren't necessarily on a safe list? Is that why, is there like a certain degree of negligence that makes them a, a suspension valid? Yeah, and again, a reminder that every case is looked on in its own individual merits, but certainly that's something that I know goes into that deliberation process. How careful and what can the athletes show in terms of the care that they've used to, to choose a supplement? And look, 
you know, myself and, and Donna Marcolini, who works with me in my department, I mean, that's the most common question, that and marijuana use, but probably tied, but we're asked all the time about how do I make safe supplement choices? What supplements are approved to use? And the answer is, while there are no particular list of approved supplements, the way to go is to choose supplements that are third-party certified. And there's a group of companies out there that supplement, um, the, the good supplement companies outsource testing of their product to a third party, and they basically test samples of each lot of raw ingredient. They test samples of each lot of finished product for all of the you know prohibited substances that our athletes are tested for. And should that supplement pass through that third party's uh, testing, they're allowed to put a logo on their product that says, you know, tested for sport. NSF is, is, is a good one, NSF for sports. So if, if our athletes see an NSF tested for sport stamp on the product, then that's the ones that we recommend, you know, that they go to because they're the safest out there on the market. And should an athlete choose one of those and be able to show you, Sada, look, I have done – so much due diligence. I've taken so much care of what I used, and it turns out to be in a supplement like that. I mean, you you very well could be in an instance where it's a no fault sanction. So, you know, yeah, they tested positive, but you know, the athlete did everything in their power to ensure that this didn't happen, and it happened anyway. I think in a situation like that, you wouldn't see you know any sanction at all. Are you aware of any NSF certified products that have ever been contaminated? I'm not. Not only with NSF, but the other you know major third-party certifications out uh, companies out there, a banned substance control group, um, informed sport. There's one in Australia called HASTA, H-A-S-T-A. I'm not aware of any third-party certified supplements that have ever caused an issue in the world of anti-doping. So the athletes should probably stick with those ones. <laughs> I mean, if they want to be safe, 100% safe and not one, get a six-month suspension. 1,000%. You know, we push that message out continually, you know, maybe on a weekly, if not, you know, monthly basis to our athletes. USADA does it as well on their side. Um, it's not that difficult to choose safe supplements. Some of these companies actually have app applications, mobile apps, where, you know, you could plug into that app. Okay, I want a, su I want a protein powder. I want a multivitamin. And it will spit out, you know, dozens of choices that are third-party certified that are going to be safe for, for an athlete to use. One name that keeps coming up with Austrian is Tom Lawler, who was suspended for two years. This was back in 2017 it was announced. 2016 was when he was flagged. He contends that he had picogram levels in his system and that he – uh, said it was from um, a uh, contaminated substance as well. Is it fair to say that in the, whatever, three years or however long it's been of this program, that the way that the penalties have been handed out have evolved? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's pretty evident with this one. Um, again, I mean, I, I hate to keep doing it, but, you know, I would maybe punt that question to, to USADA since they are the independent administrators and adjudicators of our of our program. Um, but, but I mean, I will say this because I know this, you know, USADA has to adjudicate cases based on the information that they have at that time. And then, you know, consistent with advances in anti-doping science and, and work that's done on an ongoing basis on all detection methods to refine their sensitivity and, you know, interpretation of results, you know, they can change, you know, and I think they've shown they've done that based on, you know, what they're seeing over time. Look, you know, I work with them closely. I know they want to be as fair as possible and, and get it right every time. But, you know, when science evolves and you, and you, learn new things, 
that shouldn't prevent you, you know, from changing something if you know something, you know, wasn't done, um, you know, with scientific validity the first time through. Do you think that we could see a time where IVs are brought back? I know a lot of athletes relied on IVs to rehydrate in a healthy fashion. Would there ever be a time where you think in competition IV use, if administered by USADA or by the commission or even UFC medical staff, could be brought back if if it's deemed to be more healthy than um, having to replenish your system without one? I don't think so. You know, there's there's really two issues on IVs. Number one, and probably most importantly, and really that the reason that it's on the WADA prohibited method list um, is not necessarily for you know weight cutting rehydration. It's because it's been shown that athletes in the past have used not necessarily UFC athletes, but athletes have used IV administration to you know, dilute urine to hide the use of prohibited substances to manipulate their biological passport with USADA is looking at all our athletes on an ongoing basis. Um, so, you know, for those reasons, I don't see that changing now on the use of IVs to help rehydrate. Look, we're, we're trying to, to change the culture here in this sport, both through this program, through what we're doing at the Performance Institute here, and we're trying to deter our athletes from, you know, extreme, you know, dehydration and the the need to to rehydrate via IV on the other side. Look, there's there's published scientific data that um, someone who rehydrates orally versus rehydrating via an IV that 24 hours later when their performance is measured and that correlates perfectly almost to you know weigh in for a UFC fighter and performance the next day but that science shows that those that orally rehydrate actually perform better um, so you know good science out there now I, I can't disagree and I've talked to many fighters who you know have used IVs in the past before this rule was put in I can't disagree that using an IV probably is going to make you if you're feeling crappy after a weigh-in it's going to make you feel better quicker than drinking water or complex carbs or whatever you're using to rehydrate. But, you know, I think the important thing is that is how they perform the next day and the next night. And again, you know, I've talked to many athletes that said, Hey, I was a little skeptical of this. And yeah, it took me several hours to feel better after the weigh-in, but Holy smokes, the next night I felt, you know, fantastic. I felt light a lot different than I felt when I was rehydrating with an IV. That's an interesting perspective. I've never heard that before, so that's, that's cool to hear. All right, Jeff. Well, I always appreciate uh, getting your insight on these matters, and uh, thank you so much for your time. You got it. Good talking to you, Aaron. Thanks, man. Interesting stuff there from Jeff Nowitzki, the vice president of athlete health and performance for the UFC, and a couple of interesting points there. So he says that the Austrian is basically potentially getting left, I guess, in areas where they're processing these supplements in China or some other places where, again, they're not third-party approved. And then the other thing... Um, that he uh, mentions in this is the Tom Lawler situation, which a lot of people have questioned as to why he got two years and these others are getting six months. He says you should talk to USADA about that, but then perhaps the way that they've started handing out penalties have changed because of the research and all the knowledge that they have now that they didn't have when they first started monitoring the sport. Are are they putting these companies on blast, the ones that have these tainted supplements? They they have a list of substances. Here, do not take these. Mm -hmm. And they add them. And a lot of, we've seen guys like Lyman Good who I think got suspended for a year and a half, two years, take them to court. Take the supplement company to court. Tim Means taking the supplement company. They should. And they should. Yeah. Absolutely. And I actually find it suspicious when they don't because, like, these people are losing money. I mean, of course, you've got to hire legal counsel and all that stuff, so it's not, like, a given that you should be suing them. But at the same time, if they're hindering your career because sure. their supplements are tainted and they're not listed in the ingredients, you do yeah. have a case. 
Yeah, it's big money, especially like a win being overturned. Like that's massive on your record. That's massive, you know, in the development of your contract in your career. Yeah, they they deserve money for it. Yeah, it's, it's brutal for sure. Um, and then Joseph Benavides came out this week and said he was surprised that T.J. Dillashaw didn't get busted sooner, which I thought was an interesting comment because he used to train out at Alpha Male and I think even in Denver with uh, Dillashaw. Yeah. So if he seemed the- like he didn't want to, he's just like. Holding back, but him holding back his conversation, saying like, "Yeah, he does it almost," you know, in yeah. like his, in like a, a confident, cocky way. Do you think that's out of bounds? Like, do you think that if you share a locker room with somebody or you share a gym with somebody who you know has been doing something wrong, you don't work with them, haven't worked with them in years, haven't spoken to them in years, that it's okay to put them on blast for this, especially if they've already been caught? It's tough because there's a code. You know what I mean? It's code, like right? you would think so, but I mean, friendships go bad. You well, know what I mean? here's one thing that people aren't talking about with the situation with Joe Benavidez and, and Dillashaw. One reason that Benavidez is mad at Dillashaw, and he, he mentioned this in an interview that I did with him back in, uh, it was late last year, I believe. He was, un- he was upset that Dillashaw came out and said, I'm here to kill the flyweight division. And Benavidez is like, this guy, I, th- I, thought, I thought this guy was a friend. Um, you know, and he's coming and saying he's basically trying to put me out of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, those are the I kind of things that, where yeah. you have to take into consideration his side of the story. He's not just throwing TJ under the bus for the sake of doing it. He's uh, he's upset about TJ essentially trying to kill his division. So, yeah, but I mean, those, TJ's those just TJ's building words. a fight. He's, he's sure. you know, coming down to the division. Sure, I'm going to wipe it out. But at the same time, the division's getting decimated. Yeah. So there is, like, where there's smoke, there's fire. And maybe Dillashaw, maybe so they said to Dillashaw, we want you to kill this division. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, but I mean, if you have a friend, friend relationships always go bad. Even the closest relationships, man. Like you, you have a fight with your brother one day, and all the secrets in the world get leaked out. Or I mean, people just don't know how to control them themselves when they get angry. And there you go, spilling the beans. But yeah, uh, yeah to me, it's it should be off bounds. And 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 it's like a touchy subject. Like look at someone like you know Nick Diaz getting suspended for those two years for marijuana, and then all of a sudden now. It's legal. So, like, where do you find the balance? It's not legal with the commissions, right? Like, you still can't use it in competition. The marijuana? Yeah. I, I thought it was depending on the sanctioning, on which sanctioning body. I, well, I think it always is. Like, I think any sort of punishment is. But I know that there are certain states already where Jeff Nowitzki is trying to work with them to change this. Where the, but that, like the, I said, like, that's the only some places. Like, zero, though, right? zero tolerance, right? Yeah. Um, no, but I think if you smoke marijuana, like, if you were to have a marijuana cigarette, in competition that no matter what the commission is, you could still get uh, suspended for it. Yeah. Like if the levels are, like the THC levels are high enough. It's just And that's why Elias now, was right? looking for the, uh, the, exemption. the exemption. Okay. But that means like I heard the limit though is like you have to basically smoke the day of the event in order yeah, to get those levels. And the Diaz brothers probably did that. True. I mean, true. <laughs> let's, let's be real here. Yeah, we true. saw Nate Diaz with the vape pen after true. like an event. Well, that's understandable. That's still which, in competition. Right after the event, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is, they like they could have suspended him for a year or two because of that, but Jeff Nowitzki again went to USADA and said, "Listen, like this is after the fight, not not gonna like affect it one way or another. The outcome's already been determined." Have you ever seen the USADA package? Is it online? Uh, yeah, you can see it all online. Yeah, I'm curious. I might go online and just take a Mr. look. Mr. Research, it. there you go. Yeah, I'm just, just go to, to go see to, what uh, they I have and what they. I think it's ufc.usada.org, and you can see a lot of to the see all documents. of it. Yeah, I think some of it, of course, is restricted access. You need to have a password, but yeah, yeah. I mean. Again, going back to fighters, I bet you if you ask half of the UFC roster, a lot of them probably don't even know the new rules changes. 
It's just well, you, I, you, you I, go I, and you do your job, you know? Because the regulatory commissions, who's no, the, the, the judges and us. So, yeah. I mean, I just don't think it's uh, I just think fighters aren't doing that little bit of extra work on, on understanding. Like, Managers, too. You go in, you fight, you knock that person out, you win. Like yeah. this 10 8, the 10 8, no this, no that. I just really don't think. You know, they're doing the work on understanding. Like, yeah. even with me, when I was actively competing, I don't think I could tell you the glory rules perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be like, I, I think I could, I think I could only clinch for three to five seconds. That's how it's always been, so that's what I'm going to do. If the ref stops me for clinching more, then I won't do it. You yeah. know, that's kind of... So we don't really know, and I guarantee you the fighters have no idea what's going on. And one example of that is also Greg Hardy, which happened back in January, and he's on the card this weekend. Um, and him and I spoke about that um, and what... Yep, it was yeah, that knee, right? What happened what with was the it? knee and yeah. what, how he felt afterwards and, and all of that. So he he's you know was very candid with me, and um, I, I appreciate that. But what do you think we're going to see from Greg Hardy this weekend? I mean, I think that the obvious thing that is happening here is they want to set this guy up for success. I mean, Smolyakov, uh, who he's facing, is a guy who most of his fights have ended in the first round. He has never gotten a win in the UFC. He just fought outside of the UFC in like a regional organization, and they've brought him back to face Greg Hardy. Like To me, it seems like a fairly obvious observation that this is a guy that is going to be a lamb to the slaughter. But I think a lot of people felt the same way about Alan Crowder. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dimitri's 8-2, and two, which is you know a, quite a bit of experience. But where are the two pro fights, yeah. Where are they? They're in the UFC. Okay. And where are the eight wins? They're outside of the UFC. Yeah. That, that was our said, conversation last Greg week. Greg Hardy's whatever, three and one. So it's yeah. not like Greg Hardy has a, a plethora of experience here either. Yeah, just Greg Hardy's got power, man. He hits you, you're out. It doesn't matter, I guess, how much experience you have. He's just big, strong, powerful. But uh, him being on the co-main event is an issue for some of the fighters and journalists again. Why, though? I don't know. You tell me. Well, I mean, I... You have to at least get why they're doing it, like mm. why they're putting Greg Hardy on the co-main event. And also, I th- one thing that I think is very strange is that people have any, like, why do people have a qualm about it at all? Like, why do, like, if, if I'm Roosevelt Roberts, for example, I'm on this card, I'm fighting on ESPN in the prelims and not on ESPN+. Plus. Like, you're going to get more eyeballs fighting way earlier in the card yeah. than you will be fighting, like, even in the main event. So... I think that there's people getting offended about placement on cards. Like, why waste your energy? Who cares? I mean, I think it's just the prestige of it. But I feel his record, his experience, like the um, Cerrone Platinum fight should probably be the co-main, you know? And that got moved. Like, but like you said, you doesn't matter. You mean Oliveira. Oliveira. Okay, yeah. I'm all off today. Don't worry about it's it. It's okay. <laughs> Who did I say? You said you said uh, Cowboy Cerrone. Oh, Cerrone. And you, it's Cowboy Oliveira. Oh, you know, you got to Close enough. One's two Cowboys. Cowboys, fine. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Um, but yeah, that like that. Those guys have rights to complain, meaning on what they've done in the UFC. Just to be called the co-main event is prestige, right? Yeah, absolutely. But why though? Who cares? Like who? Who cares? I mean, Arlovski is oh. a former heavyweight champion and has whatever twenty something fights in the UFC or something along those lines. He's got a lot of UFC fights. You think he cares? I don't know. Like, I think it's more the fans and the media that care about this kind of stuff, co-main event and main event. And I think that when people saw that Sage Northcott was making $75,000 in his first contract, uh, 75 and 75, and they were making 25 and 25, and Sage Northcott's 20 years old, like, okay, now I understand your gripe. This is, you're, you're doing this for a yeah. living. But if Hardy's in the co-main event... Like you understand why, right? Like it's no, not, I get what you're saying, yeah. but if it I'm was just, a, if it from was a, a fighter's random... perspective, I think it means. Like, I think it would mean a lot to me. Would it? Okay. I think it would mean more to me to say I'm the co-main event rather than I'm just I'm fight five, you know, or I'm fight six. 
But is that more of a like? I guess in kickboxing the cards are pretty deep too. It's not one of those things. Like I, there are a lot of people on the contend the glory. Um, what's it called? Super fight series yeah. that are that are main uh, main card caliber. That like the yeah. main event of that is usually something that's better than a lot of the main but card. Fights. Same thing. Like I bet you maybe the super fight series might do better, but you want to be on the main number card yeah. just because it's more of like. I don't know. It's just the placement means a lot. Okay. I think it just means well, a lot to fighters. It, if you're you know? saying it, then I'll, you know, I, of course, I'll buy. But like, I mean, now in this position, though, if someone told me like, "Hey, if you're on a different platform that gets more views," I'd be like, "Hey, that's even better," you know. So I mean, I think it, money and ultimately comes down to to your value. But if you're if you're on like your third fight of the contract and you look and be like, "Why is this guy?" I think it's like an ego respect thing. Fighters got big egos, you know. It's 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 a job of of, of ego, so you want to be the highest placed on the card. I think it's uh, still something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get that. I hear that, and I think if you, I mean, if you're a fighter and you're saying that, then I have to I have to go with it. But I personally think, like I know Uriah Faber once said, I'd rather be the main event of the prelims than you know just on the main card because I I know that more eyeballs are going to be watching me. So I, I do understand why people have a gripe, but you also have to look at what a poster looks like. If you see Greg Hardy on a poster and you're not a UFC fan and there's advertisements on ESPN or on websites and you're like, oh, Greg, that Greg Hardy is in the UFC? There's a certain cachet to that. Yeah, I'd say so, but, I mean, ego, respect. Right. Yeah. Gets in the way. You know. Um, Why don't we talk to Greg Hardy now on the TSN MMA show? He joins us and uh, discusses his co-main event with Dmitry Smolyakov. It's a tough name to say. Dmitry Smolyakov and much more. I'm now joined by the Prince of War, Greg Hardy, uh, joining us on the line. Uh, jo- uh, Greg, sorry, you suffered an unfortunate uh, disqualification loss in your debut due to an illegal knee. After that happened, what did the next few weeks look like for you? Uh, you know, the next few weeks were just going back and breaking down the fight unbiasedly, man, and finding out where all the holes were, you know, just not focusing on on one the one broadcasting mistake, but, you know, fixing every single thing that I, I did wrong. I've heard some interviews with you where you talk about feeling invincible from having all those fast wins, those fast KO wins. That one went into the second round. Um, what did you learn about yourself personally from that fight? Um, you know, I, I learned a lot of good stuff about myself from that fight, you know. Um, I got to go into the second round. I definitely about, you know, I have what it takes. Uh, this is for me. And, you know, I answered a lot of questions about my wrestling and um, just the, the caliber of opponents in the UFC versus being in amateur fights, man. It's, uh, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of hanging questions. And, you know, I finally got to put myself to the test and figure out how I measure up. So, After that card, I got back to my hotel room in Brooklyn and I watched SportsCenter. And a lot of the anchors were poking fun at you and at the situation. Does that bother you or does that just come with the territory? Uh, you know that's what narps are gonna do, man. They they uh they haven't really been through that heat. They haven't been in that kind of moment. So, you know they're entertaining. That's how they can do it. So, not really. Was there any point in that fight with Crowder where he was surviving? He was walking forward where you you started to get scared or or get into a fight or flight feeling uh, because it had been territory you hadn't I guess become accustomed to in a, in a professional fight. No, not at all. You know, my um, my only thoughts were to just regain, you know, regain composure, regain control of the fight, get into a position where I'm familiar. You know, it was a, uh, it was always it was always a fight situation, never a fight situation. But 
as I started to lose, you know, more of my senses, more of my composure, man, I just had to find find, find a way to stay into the fight and find a way to win the fight because I knew I had uh, two more rounds to go. Do you think that having to think about all of those things is what led to the lapse that um, led to the knee, I guess, against Crowder, the illegal knee? It's just you're, you had kind of been overstimulated at that point? Now, plain and simple, boss, man, what led to that knee was uh, me being unprepared, me being unconditioned, and me being um, a rookie, you know, not being able to uh, analyze when I'm tired, you know, not being in that position before everything being new and just a collective a collective buildup of everything, man. It's, uh, it's an overwhelming feeling. So you go back to the gym after that, and what do you talk about? What do you, say, what do you talk to Dean Thomas about? What do you say about the strategies to avoid a situation like that happening again? I mean, I, like I said, I didn't really worry about that situation. You know, the knee was more for you guys and the, and the entertainment industry to talk about and make and poke fun of. For me, it was about fixing holes, man. It was about breaking down the full fight, making sure that as a fighter, I, I develop because that's my goal. You know, um, I know the I know the inevitable truth is I'm not going away. I'm one of the best athletes on this planet. So, you know, the only thing that's going to keep me from advancing and going forward is being naive and being big-headed and thinking that the knee was the only thing that was wrong. So what else was wrong? What are some things that you looked at where you feel like you can improve in that area? I mean, obviously, in mixed martial arts, there's no such thing as a perfect mixed martial artist or somebody who's perfect at everything. You're always looking to improve. But what particular things do you feel needed the most improvement that you've worked on during this camp? Um, mostly, I feel like just my understanding of fatigue, my understanding of how the fight game works. You know, as a rookie and as a, a guy that's never really been out the first round, I didn't have an adequate understanding of that kind of battle and that kind of exchange. And just the opportunity to go through it and to actually watch it on film allowed me to, you know, go back into my mind, go back and um, understand and elaborate and then put myself in those positions during training. So I think the biggest thing would be to, to take the biggest takeaway would be just, you know, my conditioning and how I handle myself during that condition and the decision making. I saw you and Dean on the Slip and Dip podcast, and you had mentioned that Dean told you what it was like to get into those deep waters. How did he explain that to you? Just for those that don't fight and are interested in, in what, what it feels like to be in those moments, how did Dean explain that? Uh, shout out to Slip and Dip, you know, for having us on. That was a great show, man. It was, I appreciate them having us on. And, you know, basically, Dean just breaks everything down, man. He's the, he's the guru. He's the original MMA guy. You know, he's not a one-time, one-trick pony. He's the guy that put it all together and and, and actually mastered it. So I, I had all kinds of warnings, man. And, uh, you know, there's there's some kind of saying out there. I don't know it, but it, it, it kind of goes just until you're in those shoes, you don't really understand. And it was kind of like that. It was uh, I got all the warnings, you know, and in my mind I was trying to assess it as a football player, as, a, as an athlete overall. But like I said, until I actually got into those waters and, and found out I was already too deep into it to come back from it, <clears throat> I wasn't aware. So, you know, he was he was just trying to make me aware of the, the, the energy jump that happens before the swinging happens, you know, because a lot of people think that I, I, I gave it all up on the um, on the cage trying to hit him and all that and this, that, and the other. But, you know, I was exhausting myself going, going, going along with the music walking out. You know, and these are some of the things they warned me about, man, and it just – it all hit me regardless. As a football player – you're used to short burst energy um, situations. You know, you have your four downs or however many downs it takes for a possession, a defensive possession. But it, you get a break in between. You know, you get a little breather and then it's, it's on to the next down for the most part. Unless, of course, they're going to whatever, a, a snap it straight away. But 
in terms of um, fighting, you have to do you know five straight minutes. How did you make the adjustment from, I guess, short burst athletic moments to a full five minutes of fighting? What, what's the biggest difference in terms of your mindset there? You know, and a lot of people say that, man, and they ask me those questions. And I would say the honest answer is playing football is hell, man. It's, it's excruciating. Being out there, whether you have rest or breaks, regardless, is torture, man. I think the biggest difference and where it's the biggest difference is between football and MMA is the consequences in the way they play out. A consequence in football, you have a moment to get a replacement. You have a moment to come back. You have a team to help you. The difference in MMA, man, is those consequences cost you everything, and you cannot get that back. So there's, it's, it's five minutes of living with your actual consequences in a cage with a man that, are, that is capitalizing on every single one of your weaknesses, every single one of your mistakes. And I think that, that is the biggest part and the biggest takeaway that I got of it. Was that a big learning curve for you, is to, to adjust to that? I mean, like you mentioned, it's a team sport. You have a team to fall back on. So, you know, if you miss an assignment or something along those lines, you still have the next play. In a cage, it's you and another human being for five minutes. Yes, sir. And, you know, that, that adrenaline dump happens in football, and you get to go down to your, you get to go to your sideline, listen to your coach, this, that, and the other. And, you know, three minutes into the fight, if that happens, you got to figure out the answer to the problem yourself, you know? And you know, you know, you know, you don't get the opportunity to just assess. There is no, there is no makeup time. You know, there, the the break of being tired and this that and the other never comes. You know, in football or fighting, but there's always that aid there for you. There's always that opportunity to you know make corrections, have time to stat and the other. And it's just when you don't have the opportunity to make those corrections, man, that curve just gets bigger and bigger. And it was it was it was gigantic for me, man. But it was a huge learning step, though. You know, stepping stone for me. Tell me if you agree with this. You're in the co-main event. It's your second straight co-main event. I don't think the UFC is taking much from your first performance as, as it being a loss. And I think that the UFC and ESPN are putting a lot of faith in you still being a draw in this sport, regardless of how that first fight went. Would you agree with that? I mean, I don't really, I don't really know how to answer that question without saying, my man, I am one of the most entertaining athletes on the face of this planet, brother. So it makes sense. And I do have complete faith, and I do always agree with my boss. So... And one other thing with Dean Thomas, recently he was in the corner of Tyron Woodley against Usman, and things weren't really clicking with Woodley that night. When you were watching that fight, what was going through your mind knowing uh, that Dean had to coach him through these moments? Oh, uh, you know, I don't really watch fights like that. Um, that's something I could do with football and fighting. Lead him as, you know, someone that is trying to earn everything that he has and to come in with a humble approach. And watching it from a humble, humble position, all I could see was, you know, what I knew, what I could capitalize on if I was in that fight, and basically just enjoy it, man. I, I didn't really take anything from that fight because I really didn't understand a lot of it. You know, it, it was a, the IQ of that fight was above my above my pay grade and above my uh, fight class. When I interviewed you before your last fight, after the weigh-ins, you were dancing, you were laughing, but you also were talking about destruction when it came to your fight and destroying your opponent, breaking his spirit. It was actually a bit scary, to be honest, uh, being face-to-face with you when you're in that element. At what point during fight week does that click in? Uh, you know, I like to think that I'm always that guy, man. Um, I'm fun-loving. You know, I'm a business, but at the same time, you know, I love to compete. This is what I, this is what I do. And um, an objective of my job is to, you know, create chaos and make my, my opponent's life difficult, man. So... Around a week out, you know, it just it just it just clicks, and and that's that's the only objective. And you know, at the same time, I'm loving the, I'm loving the crap out of it, man. I'm enjoying it. You know, I, I have my fans on my back, and 
I've got a team on my back, and it's just it's a beautiful situation for me. You know, I thrive in these situations. So. And what do you think is the biggest difference between your first fight week, the one in Brooklyn, and the one you're in right now in Fort Lauderdale? difference i've learned i went to camp i've, I've advanced i've gotten better you know that's a hands down period that's all it really is i have the time to go back to my camp have a, have a long camp with some of the best uh some of the best fighters some of the best coaches in the world and we filled in as many holes as we can and we're going to do this do the same thing this fight minus the bs and look for the finish all right he is the prince of war greg hardy he's fighting uh dimitri smolianikov in the co-main event of the evening UFC fight night in Fort Lauderdale. It's on TSN2 here in Canada, ESPN Plus in the U.S. Uh, Greg, thank you for this. Thank you, thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on. That was Greg Hardy. It's some pretty interesting stuff from him there about how his expectation was he was going to knock guys out in the first round, and when he was trying to figure out what was going on in terms of the like what it was like to be in deep water, he was learning pretty much on the fly in that fight. That's where a good power puncher is going to learn. Like, look at uh, Francis Nagano. Like, if he keeps knocking everybody out, everybody out in the first round, where does he learn? Where does he get the takedown defense? You know, someone laying on top of you for five minutes, elbowing you. Like, that's the waters that these, um, you know, freakish athletes need to go through. And that's where the learning experience is going to come from. So the key is, is him not being discouraged from it, taking it, learning it, getting better, which seems like the approach he's taken. Yeah, you know, I honestly think that that loss was the best thing to happen to him. Yeah, the it derails why, him a bit. But it's not just that. I think that there's not a lot of people talking about Greg Hardy this weekend. There's not a lot of people talking about, oh, this guy's running through everybody's machine. He's undefeated. And there's less of a spotlight. I feel like there's just less pressure on him now, even though he mm-hmm. lost. Like, I'm sure, personally for him, there's probably, he feels more pressure because he wants to get that win. But I think that a lot of the media that are covering the event, they're covering it, like, there's more to talk about now, now that he's lost a fight. Yeah. There's more to discuss with him about that and his learning from that experience because if he had just run through Alan Crowder in whatever thirty seconds, like then people start focusing again on his past, which I think that's is what I was going to say. Issue. That the past, that's where he got talked about the most. Yeah, in the last fight, that's what everybody was focusing on. And mm. now I think people are focusing on his growth as a martial artist, which is I'm sure where he and his management and his team Wanted would rather be. the questions be focused on, because then yeah. he can be more introspective about it and not yep. worry as much about having to answer these questions about his past, which I think are questions that he still really has not answered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, will he ever answer them? Probably he probably not. just wants to I think, continue I think to, now that he wants he's to move the storm, on from yeah, it. Yeah, I think whether, now that he's weathered the storm from that first fight and had to answer all those questions and the media like, were able to ask him those questions, I don't think that there's as much pressure also on the media. Like, there's, there's pressure on us as media members to ask him about that. And you don't want to ask it because you're not sure the reaction no, you're going to get. I don't care about asking it. That doesn't bother me. I asked him about it. It was my first question out of the gate when I asked him about it uh, during scrums. Yeah. And I'm not like, if it makes him uncomfortable, that's fine. If it makes me uncomfortable, that's fine. If these are questions that need to be answered that he still has not answered, yeah. I'm still eager to get that answer. But, um, you know, he said that when I, when I spoke to him in the scrum back then in Brooklyn, he said, like, these things haunt me at night. Like, my, you know, the, his past like, haunts him at night. For like, sure. He's, like, trying to turn around and be a better person. But... You know, and what more can we really expect from this guy than what he's telling us? I mean, I would love to hear him apologize for what he did. He doesn't seem to feel like he did anything wrong. But, you know, maybe there's some sort of legal reason why he's not, you know, taking accountability. I I mean, who knows? Exactly. So I think once, now that he's had that first fight, and now that people have asked him about that, I think from here we need to start respecting the fact that he is a mixed martial artist in the UFC. And we, you know, he's an athlete. The thing is, there's a lot of different people in the UFC that have checkered pasts, mm-hmm. that have backgrounds that 
are not pleasing to the eye, that have done things that are unacceptable in society. And unless we're going to treat every fighter that same way as Greg Hardy, where we ask them questions, you know, like BJ Penn, for example, has all these legal things right now, all these, like a restraining order from his wife or something along those lines. Um, and then there was another a farmer that said that he attacked him with a machete or something or like threatened him with a machete. Like these are things mm-hmm. that now when I'm covering UFC 137, if I speak to BJ or 237, when I speak to BJ Penn, I have to ask him about it. I, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. he doesn't need to give me an answer. He can answer however he wants to answer, but I still think that it's the responsibility of somebody who's covering the sport and covering these individuals like a Greg Hardy that these are questions that need to be asked. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Good. I mean, at me on my side, I'd be, I'd still be hesitant to ask it. I know you're right saying, like, yeah, we have to ask. It's just me personally. I know they wouldn't want to talk about it. I goes, that's where I got to improve it in my journalism. Um, yeah, I'm always hesitant to ask those kind of deeper questions because I feel like sometimes the vibe of the interview can kind of change after those kind of things, and they don't want to open up as much or, or maybe to get them to open up and then kind of drop the bomb near the end or something. Well, but, I always find phrasing to be yeah. important. Like yeah. I think that you can ask a question to somebody in a way that keeps it respectful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing is you could, you know, kind of like a fighter, but you don't have to like what they do outside of the ring, right? We got to start maybe with him focusing just on what he's doing inside of, you know, the octagon, like you said, rather than his past, you know, just, I think that's a lot of fighters. I mean, the fighters you end up liking and end up being your best favorite fighter of all time are the ones that you can connect with outside of the ring and inside of the ring but look at the roster there's going to be some that you love and some that you hate so regardless just i mean with him just i guess we need to focus on his skills and his improvement like you said as a martial artist yeah i try not to approach it that way and i mean i'm sure that there are some athletes that i that i enjoy speaking with more and that i enjoy interviewing more like joseph benavides who we talked about earlier he's a guy that i love to sit and chat with and the guy that i like to talk to um outside of the boundaries of media and, and athlete. Yeah. But I, I try not to get too close to a lot of these athletes because I feel like I need to call it down the middle. Like I need to yeah. I need to respect all of these people for what they're doing and you know be an unbiased person. Cuz even uh recently I've heard a, uh, quite a few interviews with uh, Masvidal. He's a pretty tough interview to have sometimes because he's really particular what he wants to talk about. Like no matter what, as a journalist, you're asking him, he doesn't want to talk about Ben Askren at all. Like if you mention him in the interview, he shuts you down right away. I don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about me. But we're like, we're building up the fight. He's like, no, I'm only talking about myself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess he's doing his thing. And, I mean, well, And yesterday I put out an article about uh, Jesse Ronson wanting to get um, Nordin Taleb is without an opponent right now. Mm-hmm. CR Bahardouzada had to withdraw due to injury. And I put out an article uh, about Ronson wanting that fight. And when I was putting it out, I was thinking to myself, like, I wonder if people are going to think that I'm putting this out to push an agenda to try to get Jesse that fight. I've never spoken to Jesse Ronson before yesterday. I sent him a direct message. He follows me on Twitter. I sent him a direct message saying, like, hey, I know what happened back in December, but do you want this fight? Are you able to take this fight? And asked him questions about it. And I put out that article, um, you know, talking about the fact that, you know, Quebec pulled him from the fight and that he didn't make – like, he's culpable – for all of these things, and he is—he has his take on what happened, and he accepts accountability for what happened in Toronto at UFC 231. And these are all things that are part of that article. But I would hate for somebody to read that and think like, "Oh, I guess Aaron likes Jesse Ronson and wants to get Ronson the fight." It's like, no, not really. I, you know, that's not what I'm trying to do at all. What I'm trying to do is to get his side of things. And I know that he's somebody that is licensed in Ontario and somebody that's a champion in a regional organization Who's where it would fresh make off sense. a training camp, fresh off a training fight. camp. It's welterweight, so we won't yeah, have to cut weight on short notice. Yeah. yeah. And the problem is his UFC run, I, 
he had tough fights. He got like Dude, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belts. Yeah, you three know? split decisions. Kevin Lee. Yeah. Um, uh, what's his name? Brazilian, um, big, strong uh, Brazilian. Yeah, Masaranduba. Um, that's his nickname. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I can't. Uh, Trinaldo, Francisco Trinaldo. Yeah. And then, and then Michelle, Michelle Prezera. So yes. you had like three guys that have been High ranked level. in the top 10. And all split decision losses. Yeah, and all right? split decision losses. So but Kevin Lee was split decision too, right? Yeah. yeah. All three split. So that's just getting dealt a bad hand. And he's a like, striker. That proves to he's me. He's a good striker. That, like, if you lose to those three guys today, yeah, like it's incredible. It, well, it's not. I mean, it depends. If it's three split decisions like that, yeah. you're like, wow, okay. Well, this guy like, has but something. But those ones, caliber. I would, I even when he fought, I was like, I don't know. Like I was in the air. Like it wasn't like he got dominated in yeah. any aspect. I was always scared um, when he fought these black belts for the submission and the ground. But man, like I mean, he. I need to see him with a good striker, someone that'll strike a little bit, give him a little bit more. Because, I mean, th- he needs the right fights, man, to, to really showcase that he belongs in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what I, why I was curious about, like, why, how people would perceive that article when I put that out there. Because I worry about that kind of thing. Like, I don't want to put something out where people are going to think that I have any sort of bias. There's, there could be a, a thousand fighters to fill that spot, probably. Yeah. You know, more. They're, they're probably, like, the more. whoever the welterweight champion of, yeah. like, BFL is out in... Whatever battle, what's it called? Battlefield, battlefield. I think so. Yeah. yeah. But I, I just know that Ronson, with having a past in the UFC, with being a champion at TKO, with uh, you know, being double a champ. champion, he's the champ, yeah, champ. He's double champion. Yeah. He's able to make 170, no problem. Uh, whereas with 155 at UFC 231, he wasn't I able hope so. to. It's just it. It makes sense to put it, to ask him his opinion on on that particular situation and what, whether he wants that fight. So that's why I, I did that. But uh, again, I, that, these are the kind of things that I always have to think about when I'm approaching yeah. an interview subject. Fair, good. Um, so this UFC card in Sunrise, even though nobody who lives in Sunrise calls it Sunrise, it's actually Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> I, I used to go every year to the area, to Lauderdale Lakes, okay. which I didn't call Lauderdale Lakes. It was Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. Yep. Sunrise is Fort Lauderdale. Um, if you ask anybody who lives there where they live, they say Fort Lauderdale, but that's yeah. where the card is. It was supposed to be in Miami originally, and it was also supposed to be on ESPN originally, but now the main card's been moved to ESPN+. Plus. Uh, some really uh, interesting fights on this one. Uh, do you want to make our picks before we go to Platinum Mike Perry, or do you want to hear what Platinum Mike has to say, and you can look at the list? And uh, let's hear what Platinum's got to say. All I'm right, sure so it's a fun one. Um, here is uh, the one and only, the charismatic, the enigmatic Platinum Mike, Platinum Mike Perry, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. All right, I'm joined now by Platinum, Mike Perry. Mike, you're 0-1 against guys with the nickname Cowboy. Why will it be different this time? Well, I beat this one guy named the Redneck who wore a cowboy hat. I don't know if that counts for anything. Sure, one and one. I'll give it to you. And I beat him twice. Two and one. So now you've got a winning record against guys named Cowboy. You've convinced me. Ha <laughs> ha. Already, baby, it's easy work. You're in the wrong profession. You should be in the debate club. <laughs> I don't know if I got the vocabulary for that. <laughs> uh, so, Mike, you were recently married. Uh, what advantage has that kind of stability provided for you in your life? Ah, man, that's exactly the advantage. It gave me a sense of stability uh, in my mind to, you know, not put every all my eggs in one basket. And, um, you know, just, I don't know, help me calm down, help me grow up, help me realize the important things in life, what matters and what doesn't. And, uh, you know, just a little easier to relax and enjoy uh, the, the blessings that I've been given. 
And what's changed in your relationship? I mean, sometimes things change, but after you get married, sometimes they don't. What's more accurate? I think sometimes you just have to realize, um, you know, the good things and what matters and, and you know, who's going to be there for you and who isn't. And, you know, if if you... I don't know how to explain it exactly. I mean, I guess I didn't I didn't think or I wasn't ready to be hit with these questions. <laughs> I was about to get hit with some, some fighting questions. I'll be talking about whooping ass all day, not kissing ass. All right. Well, we'll get we'll get there. We'll get there. But I, I like hearing you. You know, I like hearing you about the uh, the Mike Perry outside of the octagon. I find I find you to be a very interesting character, a very interesting human being. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So let's get to uh, the Cowboy Oliveira. So he, he did an interview recently. He said, as long as he doesn't talk about my mom, we're cool. Is that something that Platinum, uh, Platinum Mike Perry would do? Is that what he said? Yeah. That's hilarious. I would definitely do that. Like, I throw mom jokes in every other sentence. I'm like, oh, um, man, I just, I every song... I ever sing, I change the lyrics to your mom. I swear. Maybe he's been doing some research on you, Cowboy Oliveira. Yeah, I I would think so. I would hope so. I'm looking forward to a good little showdown with this boy, though. It's gonna be good. I, you know, it. That's another thing that's changed. Is I guess I've gotten better, or or I found a way. Or I'm I'm still finding ways to be a character that people might want to see, without disrespecting my respectable opponents so much in such a negative way, and and also if they want to take it so negatively, well, that's on them too. So some can see the benefits, others can't. And I I did see a cowboy here in the hotel. Uh, I was walking to the elevators to go to my room and I saw him come out of the elevators and I saw his team and he saw me and all we gave was like a nod there was no there was nothing else it was just like a nod like yeah we're gonna fuck shit up this weekend we're gonna bust each other up if we have to so I hope he does come to fight man we'll see what happens if he tries to lay on me if he tries to run away or if he tries to be entertaining and, and stand and bang I'll oblige and um, we'll put on a show. I, I believe that we can both do that. And I res- I do respect what he's done. I don't care if he's respected what I've done. I'll make him respect me. Now, we've seen Alex in a lot of wars, and that seems to be the type of fight that you embrace. However, like you mentioned, he, d- he does like to take it to the floor sometimes. Are you hoping that he ends up standing, or have you been working a lot on, on your ground game uh, and-, and polishing that with Jackson Wink? Um. I have not, um, you said opposing that with Jackson Wink? No, no, like working on that, putting extra emphasis on, on the ground game, improving that. Yeah, well, I haven't I haven't been working with Jackson Wink at all for this camp. Okay. Um, this camp has been with Fusion XL. Um, my home gym from the beginning, uh, changed names a couple times, always been the same trainer, Julian Williams, and, and we have the likes of Jacare Souza and... Um, a lot of talent over there at, at Fusion XL. So we actually have a 
about four guys who trained together fighting on this card together. Me, Ben Saunders, Michael Davis, and myself. Uh, we all train together, so we we are all fighting on this UFC card, which is nice here at home in Florida. So, um, yeah, just there. All a lot of the guys I train with are like mostly jujitsu heads, but they do like to fight, so they'll stand and bang. But they they have that in their back pockets. A lot of black belts, a lot of black belts at my gym. So I definitely got my grappling in for this fight. But the game plan is sprawl and brawl, stand and bang. Stop him from trying to drag me to the floor. And if I can get a takedown first and get in a good position, I'll try and hold that position, be patient, and make him make a mistake. What made you decide to go back to your roots? I didn't realize you had moved back to Orlando full-time and gone back to Excel. Um, What what made you decide to do that instead of uh, stick with Jackson Wink for this camp and with Frank the Tank? Well, um, to be honest, I wanted to go back home after the Paul Felder fight, but then they kind of hit me with the, oh, we choose you over Cowboy, and, you know, and Frank came to Orlando, and he was hanging out with me, but he's like, come on, man, let's go back, and I was like, oh, the elevation could be good or whatever, training with these guys, and, you know, I'm going to fight Cowboy, and I, I... I thought about it over and over again. I was like, man, I should go train for the Cowboy fight with my boys, not in the gym with people who know Cowboy and are going to go tell him what I'm doing every day. I should have went and trained with my boys. So, you know, I've been wanting to come back home. I just wanted to go out there for a little while, hang out with John Jones, get some training in, and then go back home with the people that I care about. I didn't want to start building a new life with new people I'm 27 years old. I've built so much with this original team of mine. These are my friends. These are my family. This is where my friends and family is. And and not saying that those people weren't good to me. They they welcomed me with open arms, but that's not what I was looking for. That's not what I fight for. I fight for me and the people that I care about. And And I'm not saying I don't care about those people, but I care less about those people than the people I have around me here at home, these are the people I care about most. And and I I got my life, you know, like we were talking about that marriage stuff, right? Having my life together helps me focus on all the right things. And, you know, that that leaves that leaves room for for working harder instead of thinking about I wonder what they're doing. Or what am I going to do tonight? I don't want to sit in this room by myself and not talk to anybody because I don't know anybody out here. And I don't want to go to this club. And and I got to say, the views are better in Orlando. And and I like the Florida weather. And, you know, just, just so many things, man. Just so many little things that might not matter to others that, that matter to me. Well, one thing that strikes me as interesting there is that you said – because they had chosen you over Cowboy, you felt almost like an allegiance to them and that you owed them. Is, is that the feeling that you had? And do you, do you kind of regret not going with your instinct? I do regret not going with my instinct because I also feel that I didn't want to feel like they felt like I owed them again if I beat Cowboy. I I was all caught up in their drama and I didn't want to win and everyone say, 
you won because of Jackson Wink. Now you got to stay with Jackson Wink. No, it's always been Platinum Mike Perry's plan. It's always been the way I fight. That's my left hook. That's that's the good shit that I throw, the good things that I do. It's always been Platinum Martial Arts. It ain't been nobody else. I travel and train, and I look at the best styles across the world, and I put them together my way. No one can make me do anything. Only I can make myself do something. And because of all this, just way too much thinking going on in my head about way too many things that didn't matter compared to having my life together and being able to focus directly on the game plan. Well, Mike, some great insight there from you. I really appreciate that. And finally, uh, before I let you go, one fight left on your contract, if I'm not mistaken. Does that make you approach this fight any differently? Well, I just signed a four-fight contract, and now I'm going to get paid more for this fight, plus the next one, the next one, and the next one. So There you go. Um, I, with, with the mindset of in training camp, I had the mindset of, I am putting everything on the line because I would and I will and I'm a, I'm about that life. I would put it all on the line. I would go in there thinking it's do or die. It's win or be killed. And and I'm still going to go in there with that mindset, but I'm still comfortable. I still have something to live for. I still it makes me feel even better that they believe in me enough that they're like, man, listen, fighting is about entertainment. And you get in there and you put on a show and you try to fight these guys. And no matter all the comments that people, trash talkers want to talk on, you have no skill and, but you know, you're, you're fun to watch and your technique is terrible, but these fucking idiots don't know shit about technique. All right. Well, there you go. And uh, shout out to Abe Kawa for getting the ink to paper. So uh, congratulations on the new contract, Mike. Appreciate this and uh, hope to speak with you again soon. Amen to that, bro. I appreciate it. All right. That was Platinum Mike Perry, who has, according to him, signed a four-fight extension with the UFC. Uh, so good for Platinum Mike. He was talking there about technical, being technical. People yeah. not people saying that he's a straight-up brawler. I actually feel guilty because the last time I interviewed him, I said something along those lines and felt bad afterwards because... I guess, I mean, he isn't just a straight-up brawler. Yeah. He, there is a lot of technique to what he does. Yeah, when I first started my career, it was a very touch, uh, touchy subject with me. Everyone would be like, the aggressive brawler. And I was just yeah. like, I'm the most technical person that you've seen. <laughs> I go, have you watched my pad work? Have you seen me hit pads? Have you seen me spar? I said, the fact that I'm pressuring, I'm closing distance, I'm not getting hit with my defense, I'm countering every punch they have with my low kick, I'm ring controlling, I'm dominating. That's not technical. I'm an aggressive brawler because I like well, to go forward. the opposite of brawling, right? Like because It's y- tactical it's aggression. Yeah. Calculated aggression. Calculated pressure. I mean, I think the average person looks at someone who likes to come forward as a brawler. I disagree. So, what do you um, think of Mike Perry, though? Like, what do you think? um, I think he's a great pressure fighter. I Mm -hmm. think he's got. But when when Mike Perry pressures, he moves his head off center line. He gets in. He loads his punches. Yeah. Yeah, like so. He's calculated pressure. Got good power in his hands. 
My criticism of Mike Perry would be I'd like to see him mix his kicks a little bit more. I think I think with someone with that's got good pressure, good head movement, I good feel like good defense too. Yeah, I feel a good low kick added to that style for Mike Perry would be vicious. I think that would be killer if he added a nice low kick to his game, especially off the punches because sometimes he's the shorter guy, he has to close distance, guys move the legs available for him. So I think that would be a good touch to for him and, and to set up the power punches, that's what I'd say his striking of involvement. But I think it's calculated. I think it's well thought out. And I think he's got a, a really good power style, good movement, good angles. I mean, um, it's going to be a great fight. Yeah, and he's training with Jacare and um, Ben Saunders for this one, as he mentioned, and Mike Davis, who's uh, just signed a fight with Gilbert Burns on short notice. But Mike Davis is a guy who's been a, a pretty big prospect for some time. Um, who, who did he lose to? He lost to somebody on the Contender Series that ended up being really good. I'm going to have to look up who it was. But um, either way, that, this is a really good fight card. I mean, uh, in that interview with Perry, he talked about why he decided not to go back to Jackson Wink and go back to Orlando, which I thought was interesting. And um, he felt said he felt a little bit pressured because they wanted to train him instead of Cowboy. Remember that whole thing that yeah, went down? Yeah. And he said he felt like because they wanted to side with him instead of Cowboy that he like felt uh, like that he kind of owed it to them to stay with them. Yeah, even yeah. though he kind of wanted to go back to Orlando, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so let's recap last week's picks. Uh, unfortunately, both of us lost, and so now I'm down to forty six dollars and fifty cents. Man, you're at one hundred six fifty, so you're still above above water. I'm still breathing. I had Fiziev, uh, Rafael Fiziev, and you had uh, Alistair Overeem and Antonina Shevchenko in a parlay, and Shevchenko lost by split decision. One of the worst split decisions you'll see because it should have been unanimous. Um, the, the judge for that fight gave... So most people had the first round going to Shevchenko. I had a 30-27 Modafferi. Most people had the first round going to Shevchenko, and the second and third round were very clear for Modafferi. Yeah. This judge gave Modafferi the first round and gave Shevchenko rounds two and three. Nice. So I think she just might not have known who was fighting who. Yeah. Like, who was who. Maybe. <laughs> it's because good, good it's possibility. It's confusing. Good possibility. One of those two rounds, I can't remember if it was the second or third, was like, I think it was the second one, was like dominated by Modafferi. Like, you could not have given, I think she was, I had top control for three minutes and 40 seconds or something. Yeah. So, I don't know. Probably mixed them it's up. confusing. And I mean, the other thing is, like, if you value that kind of defense or whatever, where you would give Shevchenko those rounds, there's no way you'd give Modafferi the first round because yeah. that was the closest round out of all of them. I'm telling you, it's probably not, it's crazy to say that they probably mixed up the names. Yeah. I mean, even me, I've called prelim fights where they're like, hey, you know, call this fight. Do the judges actually look, read, watch pre-fights? No, they don't. They, they show up to the event. They get the fight card. They sit there. So, I mean, you give two Russian names that you have no idea who they are. I've been in France, and I've had two of the most brutal names to, to call, and I'm just like, I don't even know who is who. The blue corner. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> we don't even know. Like, sometimes you're just like, there's certain fights. Like, even as a commentator, man, I'm like... I don't know who is who. I have to sit and, like, before I say the name, I have to, like, write match red, the glove yeah, shorts, or, like, yeah. I'd write in big letters. Like, it's hard sometimes. So I don't – I can see it happening. Well, especially I think a lot of the people in glory are just regional fighters, right? Like, just for those cards in the like, prelim? On, like, the early prelims, yeah. 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 They're, they're just, like, local and, guys. And you have to call That's changed right? now. That's changed. Oh, okay. Now we're adding other fighters on. So we've made our prelims more like a UFC good, style. Good. Um so, but yeah, when we did have those names, you've never seen the name. We have no information on them, and go. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. And like and and literally sometimes like Tim Hughes will be announcing the name and I'm writing it out to say to pronounce it properly. Yeah. You know, and right. then you just go. Hear how he and then it, you're yeah. like in the moment you're like ah I've I've done uh the, what was the recent mistake I made on air? I shouldn't be telling people my mistakes, but uh <laughs> two brothers fight in glory. Um the, the so I I called one brother the other brother. Huh. In the heat of the moment, it was yeah, it was tough. So you know what's weird? I think we've talked about this before. Every ring announcer is good. Like yeah. Tim Hughes is good. Michael C. Williams is good. Yeah. Even Martinez. Martinez is great. I think I he's mean, good. With the way he's fantastic. Yeah. You don't hear a lot of. Those I think there's a small number, though. You know, I I've been to shows where. Yeah, but I'm talking about been at terrible. the highest level, yeah. professional level. Um, in boxing, it's, I don't. What's love, his name? Jimmy Lennon Jr. is very good. I don't love um, the one FC guy. Oh yeah, I I'm with you on that. Actually. I don't love him. Yeah. I don't love him. So, then, but if Glory ever goes down, down I want to take uh, his job. So, yeah. yeah. Trash talk him now. All right. So, UFC Fort Lauderdale, UFC Sunrise, whatever you want to call it. Do you have your pick, Joe? Let's I lock do. it in. I do. I, uh, I'm going with OG, Ben Saunders. All right. I'm going with the OG, Killer B. Um, I've, I've always been a big fan of Ben Saunders. I've liked um, when he first came out in the UFC. I liked that he used his Muay Thai style a lot. Really good in the Thai clinch. Got some nasty knees. He's tall. He's awkward. Um, and he's the more experienced one in this fight against this uh, young Japanese. Not young, 28, but uh, still think, um, you know, he's just dangerous in, in every aspect. I remember you mentioning his submission skills are there, too. His rubber guard's among the best in, yep. in the UFC. So, I mean, uh, Ben Saunders, and he's an underdog in this fight. So, yeah, plus, um, 165. plus 165. Ben Saunders, my pick. All right. I am doing a three-leg parlay because I need to chip oh, away oh. at this. This is the mistake I made, Aaron. Yeah. Learn right. from me last right. well, year, buddy. Learn should. from me. I'm going to take Greg Hardy, Roosevelt Roberts, and Corey Sandhagen. It's plus 261. Ooh, the Sandhagen. Tough. You're going against John Lineker. Yeah. I think Sandhagen's the future, man. I so think Sandhagen's going to be a top-five guy in bantamweight in like a year. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, there you have it. Let's hope for the best. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, Bellator has a, a pretty solid card this weekend, actually, uh, that's going to be going head-to-head with the UFC that's on the zone. Um, you know, sadly, uh, they keep putting these really good cards on the zone, so people that don't get them have no chance of seeing them. Um, I guess you could say the same in the States for the for ESPN Plus, but yep. ESPN Plus is $5, not $20. <laughs> um, Rory McDonald versus John Fitch, main event. I'm excited for that. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. I, uh, I like that uh, because... It'll, I think we're going to see a lot about what Rory's got got now. Like yeah. Rory has been taken down before, and that's what John Fitch is going to try to do. Yeah. What I found interesting was um, it, it kind of blends into what we talked about earlier, um, especially with your interview skills. Ariel Hawani is one of those guys like you that'll ask the questions, you know. And he asked uh, John Fitch, saying Faraz Sahabi came out and, and and really publicly said that he knows you were doing steroids or testosterone at a certain time, and he feels you're doing it now. So he just straight out went and asked him, what's your take on that? Um, my take on that is that that's the right thing to do. It's like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you call him out. Yeah. Like, like you're talking about, like, do we do the locker room talk? Like, should you announce it? Yeah. Like, Faraz was talking to Robin Black about it and was like, this guy's dirty. He's on steroids. Yeah. So, and I think that you got to ask those questions. Yeah. But I, regardless, I think it's a phenomenal fight. I think uh, Rory McDonald, man. You know, one of the best welterweights we'll see. Defending the title, the right? If yeah. John Fitch wins, he's the champion. Yeah. And he just continues in the tournament. And, I mean, we saw him lose against Musasi, right? Yeah, um, but you know what? If Rory wins this, dude, what a what a tournament field you got left. It's yeah. like him, Lima, Page, and who's the fourth? Fourth is someone good, too. 
Oh, and uh, Gracie. Neiman Gracie. Okay, yeah. Those are like the four left. Like, that's, that's who's pro- um, probably as good M- as it gets. Uh, Venom Page and who is next? Venom Page, I think, is fighting. Um, it was a wrestler. No, yeah, he's fighting. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Lima next. Lima, yes. Venom yes, Page yes, is fighting yes, Lima yes. next. That's and Rory crazy. Or Fitch will end up facing um, Gracie, which is like high level mm-hmm. jujitsu. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, Raymond Daniels is making that MMA fight soon for Bellator. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. We'll have to see what he's got. I mean, they're probably gonna put him up against some zero and zero guy. Yeah, but they should. They should put him against somebody who knows how to take things down. But uh, Gaston Bolanos on the main card here, yeah, should be hey, good. Yeah, um, Liam McGeary, one of my favorite to watch in the sport at light heavyweight. I was with Gaston like two, three weeks ago. I was at was CSA that, gym. Yeah, yeah, at, he was uh, there. In California. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Liam McGeary against uh, Phil Davis rematch, and uh, McGeary is so much fun to watch. He does such crazy stuff at uh, light heavyweight, but. Phil really uh, handled him last time. We'll see how that one goes. Uh, Adam Piccolotti, who, uh, from what I understand, yeah. is a, a big fan of bazooka yeah. kickboxing. Yeah, he's such a such a nice, positive guy. Again, was there in San Jose. He trains at AKA and at CSA. He trains a lot with Gaston Bolaño. So striking's good overall. You know, studying, he's doing well. So I think he's going to give Henderson uh, a good run. So what you're saying is it's a battle of nice Nice. They're confidence. all nice. You know, what I, I mean, mean Ben good Henderson confi- is the epi- Ben Henderson's one of the nicest guys in the sport. Yeah, like, he's yeah. such a cool dude. And um, Adam's such a, a yeah. nice guy, too. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the, the positivity battle. Yeah, ben Henderson, former UFC champion. Adam Piccolotti. I think Henderson recently signed a, uh, a new uh, deal as well with uh, Bellator. And then you've got uh, Elimile McFarlane against uh, Veda Arteaga. And I'd be lying to you if I told you I knew much about Veda Arteaga. But it's weird when you look at the uh, the topology rankings. It's like the number seven worldwide flyweight against number forty six <laughs> worldwide flyweight, and that's like the best that they have to throw it. Yeah, Elimile yeah. McFarlane. Uh, but uh, that's that's the uh, co-main event. So there you go. And there's a lot of uh, interesting people on the uh, prelims as well. Chris Avila trains with the Diaz brothers. He used to fight in the UFC. So uh, yeah, I also know uh, like. on the prelims, I'll give Stephanie Frosto some love. She was also a CSA girl that I've known for many years, kickboxer. I don't see her here actually. You mentioned her earlier, but I don't see her on this. Uh, maybe she's on, the, on a future card. She's definitely. Uh, my understanding, she was on this card early prelims. Okay, I don't have her here for whatever reason, but. We'll have to see. Um, maybe it's a future card, or maybe it's a card next week. Who knows? Bellator has a lot of cards. I'm pretty sure um, it was the San Jose one. Okay. Well, there oh, you go. Well. All right. If not, Stephanie maybe. Frosto. Okay. We got a shout-out. How do you spell her last name? I don't overlook her. Um, F-R-A-U-S-T-O, maybe. Okay. Let's, let's look it up. Her sister, yeah, Zoila. Stephanie, her yeah, sister Zoila, Zoila know, was yeah. the was the first Bellator women's champion. Oh, I guess and the fight might have gotten canceled because she's not listed here, unless she's fighting on it. And did not, it say that she was fighting? It's not on though? tapology. No, it's like I'm on tapology. It says she's not there, so maybe I should check Bellator's website or something. But yeah, well, regardless, she got some live. Cool. Hi, Stephanie. If you're listening. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, that's what, what we have for this week. I don't. Do we have anything else we have to touch on? Oh, do you want to make some predictions for UFC? Uh, Sunrise, you want to take a look at the at this card and go top to bottom, or at least look at the. There's a lot sure. to like on this card, man. Like I love how even a lot of these fights are, and I love a lot of the names on this card. I think that we're going to learn a lot from this particular card. That's my uh, my new my new uh, thing I like to look at is what we're going to learn, and we're going to learn. We always learn from these All fights, right. but there's I think uh, a lot of ramifications as to what happens in the future. Um, well, Hermanson versus uh, Jacques Ray is an interesting one because. Uh, I looked it up, and I think both of these guys, when they win, they barely take any damage. Because yeah. They're both very good on the ground, both good with uh, with subs, and Hermanson's a solid striker as well. But I just don't know how Hermanson's going to win this fight. Like, Hermanson's best path is to take a guy down and sub him. Yeah. And that's like the opposite that's of what you can do against Jacare. Jacare, man, I don't know. Like, even with his striking, it's it just it's improved. And it just has that weird, stiff power, man. Like, he's just dangerous all around. I don't know. Yeah, so... 
And Hermanson I mean, taking this taking on short notice, but he also won a fight. He was, I mean, you may as well say he's in camp. He won a fight in whatever, yeah. like a minute, against David Branch, one of the toughest guys in that division. He's good at jiu-jitsu, yeah. too. Who's a, yeah, black Overall, belt, really black good. belt. So. so, I mean, good for Hermanson. So, I mean, if I, I mean, there's levels, and I mean, Souza's yeah. jiu-jitsu is way higher than probably anybody in that division. But no you got to think the age. Branch. Age? How old mm-hmm. is Souza now, right? I think he's like 37, 38. Yeah. Hermanson, probably late 20s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there will be an age difference, but that doesn't always matter. We'll, we'll have to see it. I think it's an interesting yeah. stylistic matchup, but I, I'd be very impressed if Hermanson won that fight. Yeah. He would vault himself right into contention for a title. Or at least put on a good performance where we can see some potential in him. Absolutely. You know, I think it's uh, either way can be a win-win for him. Um, if he wins, I think Paulo Costa would be a good step for uh, Hermanson, although it looks like Romero versus Paulo Costa is going to be made at some time or other. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, we talked about Greg Hardy and uh, Dmitry Smolyakov. I, I think that this guy's being gift-drafted to Greg Hardy, and we'll have to see if he can open that present and uh, open up that present yeah. <laughs> in, in, in record time. Uh, Cowboy Oliveira against Mike Perry. So this is an interesting matchup because I think Cowboy Oliveira has a lot of tools, yeah. but Mike Perry might have the better weapon. Yeah, I think it can come down to power. Like we're saying, Perry gets inside, lets his his, his shots go, mixes levels with it. But Oliveira is dangerous. He's got some dangerous striking, good on the ground. Like, like you said, he's got more tools, but power speaks sometimes. So that's what makes it fun. And we haven't seen a lot of people that are really good at one thing beat Alex Oliveira because he's just so diverse. Yeah, but we'll can have do to do everything. Really good, scrappy, fun, awkward. Yeah, yeah Mike Perry's uh, he's an interesting guy, obviously to watch, and uh, with a new four fight deal. He'll be sticking around the UFC for some time. Yeah. Uh, I think the UFC likes having a guy like him. Yeah, yeah. he's fun. He's fun. He's, People like him. Oh yeah, like I, I'm, I'm a big wacky. supporter of his social media. I think it's hilarious. It's fun. He's really open. Like he, he puts rounds of his sparring where he's getting beat up. He's beating people up. Like it's just. He's just open with everything. If I'm so UFC nice. Fight Pass, I build a reality show around this guy. Yeah, absolutely. Just Everyone, just all the fighters think it's hilarious. Let him go, him around. Man. Just let him go. Let him go. Let him, let go. him talk. <laughs> let him be himself. Get, get it on on uh, one of those uh, TV networks. What's the one with the TLC or whatever? Yeah, I'm one good of those, with it. Yeah. I'm watching. I'm watching. Go over to share against Jan Kudalaba. That's an interesting one. Even money right now. Kudalaba, I don't uh, know there. much about. Uh, Kudalaba's a Moldovan fighter who's got a lot of pop. Um, Solid wrestler, but I, I don't know if you're going to want to try to wrestle with Glover Teixeira because next thing you know, he'll be in Mount Pounding on you or submitting you. How old is Glover now? Glover's He's got to be in there, his man. 40s. He trains man. in like, his garage in Connecticut, but uh, <laughs> he's like in his late 30s for sure. And um, But Glover's so dangerous. He's always so dangerous. And uh, there, like if you look at the list of people that have beaten Glover Teixeira, it's a pretty elite group of fighters. I'm going to pull it up now. But... Uh, from what I can like, from what I can remember, it's like he's only lost to like some of the best of the best guys. So Corey Anderson, who's like a, in the top five, I think now at light heavyweight. Gustafson, Anthony Johnson, Phil Davis, John Jones, and that's who he's lost to. So yeah. I mean, like yeah. you know, he's he's yeah. a guy that beats the guys he's supposed to beat, and this is a guy that he's supposed to beat. So we'll have to see how just how good Jan Kudalaba is. Um, Kudalaba's uh, coming off back to back wins, but these are wins against guys that aren't very like very good fighters. On like they're the lower rung of the fighters in the. Uh, Light heavyweight division, so a big step up in competition for him. Uh, Corey Sanhagen versus John Lineker in a, a fight that I've been looking for, forward to for some time. It was supposed to happen in Brooklyn. But Sanhagen, from all accounts, anybody who's worked with this guy or seen this guy train, he's a stud. Yeah, that's he's what everybody's saying. He's a killer in the gym. He's a guy that who's striking. Um, you know, and I mentioned this to some people, but uh, when I did my piece on... Uh, 
Francis Ngannou, oh, sorry, not Francis Ngannou, Curtis Blades, when he was going to fight Francis Ngannou mm-hmm. the second time, about his evolution. I was talking to his coaches, and uh, I said, where do you think Curtis's uh, striking is now out of 10? And he was like, it's about a 6 out of 10. I go, well, who's a 10 out of 10? And he was like, well, guys like John Jones and uh, Corey Sandhagen. I was like, oh, sorry, who? Corey Sandhagen, yeah. 10 out of 10? And they were like, yeah, this guy's striking is elite. How, uh, what not UFC to he's fight got a BJJ is this for background. him? What sorry? UFC fight is this for Sandhagen? I think it's number 4. And he has one loss, right? No, I don't think he has a loss in the UFC. Um, he's 10-1. and one. Yeah, I knew, I'm pretty sure he yeah, only has one loss. His loss is to Jamal Lambers. That's back in the day in LFA. Okay. But this is, yeah, this is his fourth fight. So wins over uh, Austin Arnett, Yuri Alcantara, and uh, Mario Bautista. And if you haven't watched that fight with Alcantara, you have to go and watch it. It's crazy. He's like, Alcantara has him in like a, a mounted triangle arm bar, and he's pounding his face. And somehow Sandhagen finds a way to get out of it. This is like in the first two minutes of the fight. Yeah, I've ever, yeah. I, I remember bits and pieces yeah. of that. <laughs> Sandhagen uh, yeah. gets out of it and just starts smashing him. And then, like, you could have stopped that fight at any time. Goes to the second round, and then he just keeps smashing. You know, yeah. I mean, and Yuri Alcantara is not an easy out. I mean, Alcantara nearly beat him. Um, but Lineker, I mean, Lineker's one of the, like, has it's among the around, best. Man. Yeah, like, among the most knockdowns. I think he's had three knockdowns in a fight. And if you look at his size, like, yeah. that's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, Lineker's record's very impressive. Yeah. It's not, it's no easy fight. I think it's a big step up in competition. But. Yeah, look at his losses. Lost to Dillashaw, Ali Bagautinov back in 2014. That's his last loss yes. before Dillashaw and Bagautinov fought for the title. In the, in the, you know, around there. And a loss to Luis Gabneau, who uh, at the time was And who are some of his weights. recent wins? Uh, recent wins, uh, Brian Kelleher, Marlon Vera, John Dodson, Marlon Michael Vera's McDonald, Rob Font, Francisco Rivera, hey. Ian McCall. Like These are pretty big names. Yeah, really good. So uh, his resume is a lot better than Sandhagen's, but uh, Sandhagen um, certainly has uh, a lot to offer. Um, and I think the fight with uh, Lineker is going to be really, really fun to watch. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts against Thomas Gifford. A great article about Roosevelt Roberts on ESPN right now if you haven't read it, about the stuff that he's overcome in his life. He's a Dana White Contender Series guy and a guy that uh, Dana White has mentioned as one of the guys he thinks is going to be a future superstar in the sport. 7-0 and against uh, Thomas Gifford, who I believe is a uh, late... Uh, no, actually, he wasn't a late notice rep- replacement. He was uh, the, the guy that originally got the, uh, the, the bout with him. But uh, Gifford, a 17-7 and fighter coming into the UFC. Um, he's uh, won five in a row. Fought in V3, I believe that's overseas. Oh, no, actually, V3 is a U.S. one. But he beat Chris, Chris Brown, who's considered one of the top prospects right now. So um, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, ben Saunders, as you mentioned, against uh, Takashi Sato. Sato, a pretty heralded overseas prospect, but Ben Saunders is not an easy person to face in your first no. fight. Uh, Augusto Sakai uh, from the UFC Brazilian Contender Series against uh, Andre Arlovsky, looking to get his second win in the UFC. Um, but Arlovsky, is, that's, that's a tough matchup for Sakai. I'm not super impressed by Sakai from what I've seen. He's a guy that's um, got a really, really good record. But if you watch some tape on him, he's, he's not like he doesn't have a very impressive build. He doesn't have really a, a ton of traits that are super impressive, but he manages to get the job done. He beat the Chase Sherman in the third round of their fight, um, and he's taking on Arlovsky, and that's going to be a fun one. Odds are close for a reason, though. Yeah, I mean, our, can't you always want to count Arlovsky out with his age, the damage, but he'll find ways to win. He'll Absolutely. find ways, and, and he's got good hands. I think it really comes down to his good boxing, man. I mean, he's been working with Freddie Roach for some time. I wonder if he's still with him. Do you know if he is? Um, I think he trains, like, goes back and forth a little bit yeah. with him. But I think he's mostly at, uh, he was an American top team. I think he's still an American top team, Arlovsky. 
Um, then you have uh, the debut of the Invicta strawweight champion, undefeated Verna Jandaroba, great grappler, 14-0, against the former champion, Carlos yeah. Barza. That's going to be a fun That's a one. big fight, too. Yeah, big to step up in. in competition for Jandaroba, and a very tough opponent to accept on short notice for Carlos Barza. But so I even think Carla, though, I mean, I, I feel like she hasn't really... Um, been consistent. Like, I no, mean, to see her issue. at number nine is, is kind of shocking to me. But again, you look at the losses. Ioana and Jacek, split decision loss to Randa Marcos, split decision loss to Claudia Gadelia, yeah, and then yeah. a loss to Tatiana Suarez. Like, yeah. she's not losing to, uh, <laughs> you know, she's beating the people she should be beating. It's like what we talked about before. Yeah, yeah. But Jandaroba, the problem with Carla's strategy against Jandaroba is it's going to be takedown versus really good grappling. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see how she deals with that. See, see if she wants to keep it on the feet or what. But uh, Asparza certainly has a path to victory there, and that's why I think the uh, odds are very close. Uh, Gilbert Burns against Mike Davis. Mike Davis, uh, as I mentioned, taking the fight on very short notice, but a guy who was considered a top prospect lost to uh, Sadiq Youssef. That's who it was on the Contender Series. Okay. Um, but uh, he's won, He's 5-0 and at Island Fights uh, and is uh, a Gilbert guy. Gilbert Burns is tough. Gilbert Burns is very tough, and uh, Mike Davis is fighting up a weight class, and that's what I think is uh, going to make this a really tough hurdle. But it's nice to see Mike Davis get to the UFC. Because I think he's certainly UFC caliber. Uh, his fight with Yusuf was really good. Uh, Jim Miller against Jason Gonzalez. Angela Hill taking a short notice, taking her Dang. teammates uh, fight. Jessica Penne had to fall out, and Angela Hill took the fight against Escabel, which is kind of interesting because I imagine that Hill was probably the primary training partner for Penne, yeah, training for this opponent. So that's kind of a cool dynamic that you like to see. Yeah, no, but I'm Angela Hill minus five eighty. The best I know. Oh, anybody who takes that number is out of their mind. Yeah, yeah. Just. I mean, Angela Hill. What's her last like? Her last three fights, she's like two and one and two in her last three. One and yeah, three. She's in her been last on the four. bad end of uh, some decisions, yeah. right? Yeah, and I mean, Escabel's not like a. She's not like a pushover. And who was Hill's last fight? Was it Ronda Marcos? Her last fight was yeah, that loss to uh, Ronda Marcos. That was recently. It was uh, yeah, like it was, less it was, than a month. It was yeah, just it was about very, one month ago. Very quick. So uh, she's looking to bounce back, and uh, this is a good bounce back spot for her. But wow, that line is. Oof. Yeah, yeah. Hard pass for me. Uh, Court McGee against Diego Lima. Uh, that's a great fight. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good that's one. A, that's a really good fight. Yeah. Diego finally got his first UFC win um, against uh, Chad Laprise, first official UFC win. He had won on the Ultimate Fighter a bunch of times. But uh, actually, sorry, he beat uh, George De- uh, Jorge de Oliveira back in 2014, so I, I stand corrected. This is actually his second uh, UFC victory against Chad Laprise after he had been outside the promotion for some time. Uh, got into the Ultimate Fighter uh, comeback season, beat Jesse Taylor, or sorry, lost to just Jesse Taylor. Then Jesse Taylor uh, failed a drug test and is was released from the organization in one of the most pointless seasons of the uh, Ultimate Fighter ever. But uh, he at least it worked out for Diego Lima, who got a fight after that and ended up winning. So he's uh, taking on Court McGee. Yeah, Court McGee is going to just pressure him, man. I think he's just going to lay on him, stay on him. With Lima, like when I was uh, preparing chat for him, we, we realized how dangerous he is in that mid-range. Like he's scrappy, he's got good power. So if you're court, you got to drain him out a little bit. Try not to engage in those mid-range exchanges very early because that's where Lima's tough. So either push him against the cage, make a move, hit him on the outside, but you don't want to stay in mid-range with Lima, man. It's scary. All right, well, there you have it. This has been the TSN MMA Show. A lot of fun today, Joe. Yeah, it was good. And next week we'll have a UFC Ottawa preview. I think I'm going to be flying solo for that one uh, as I'm going to be in Ottawa all of next week. It's going to be for fun. For the most part, yeah, it's going to be you fun. you got to get your social media. Pretend that... You know, get get make me feel like I'm there. I'm jealous because it's the day after my birthday. Well, I do it on Twitter, but I, you want me to do more Instagram. Instagram. I'll yeah. do what I can. I'll do what I can. Instagram's where it's at, Aaron. Come uh, on. I just get so bored of it. I, I, 
I feel too self-aware carrying a camera and shooting stuff. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Maybe I just got to get over I it. I appreciate it, though. I actually it. appreciate it. I'm one of those people who I actually appreciate There's those nothing stories, that, like, you know? Yeah, but, but, when, but I like see, the guys, when I see people posing for pictures in front of a bridge like, and stuff, it just makes me like, yeah, yeah it but me. you're at an event, man, and your followers are all fans, and we're getting a look at behind the scenes. Like, yeah, all right, all right. I like it. I I'll like take the pictures, unofficial weigh-ins. Yeah, I'll take just... some selfies and shoot some videos. Go. I like I'm it. I'm only doing it for you, though. Thank you. I'll like it. I should all. be doing it for myself to grow my uh, footprint on Instagram, but I'm yeah. just doing it for Joe. I'm telling that's you. What, that's what I want to think. Don't, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for Joe. Yeah, that's it. Do all it right. for me. All right. Thanks, while, you, while you wear your checkered hat, your skinny tie, and your glasses. My, my bow tie, you mean? Yeah. yeah. You got to do it now. Bow tie. I swear you had a bow tie. I was Never. off today. Forgive me for being off today. So... I, I own bow ties and I have them and I'm like, well, I'm gonna start wearing these one day and I just never have. I've never worn a bow tie. Yeah, never. I don't. Yeah, it's fine. Never. Bow tie. Not a lot of people do. It's not like it's. No, like even my thing. buddy who's getting married now, like he's never worn one either. But then all of a sudden, it's like a wedding thing now. I think guys are getting married in bow ties. Yeah, I don't know. I've yeah. worn one before. I've worn one out with my wife before. Like we've gone out on a date and I wore a bow tie. So it's the skinny tie, eh? But yeah. I also feel like I look like Tucker Carlson when I wear a bow tie. But he stopped wearing the bow tie, I guess. It's not really his signature anymore. Yeah. He was able to make the transition from bow tie to tie. Yeah. But he kind of ruined the bow tie. But you always have the same glasses too, right? Yeah. You change I, them I, up? I, I do have like more than one pair, but I, this is my this pair is your I almost go-to. always wear. Yeah. All right. I went to, uh, you know, Clearly clearly Contacts or whatever they used to be called. And you get like two pairs for the price of one. Really? And they have nice glasses. Nice. But you're not a glasses guy. so I'm. No, I, I have prescription glasses. I just don't wear them. Do you, so do you walk around semi-blind like I used to? Uh, or do you wear contacts? No, I can't wear contacts. Oh, wow. So you're like living blind like I do. Yeah, I just, you know, feel it out. I did that for a while, but now like when I take my glasses off, like I can't see anything. Yeah. No, I, I'm pretty good. I can see. I just can't read small text from a oh, distance. Oh, okay. Oh, from a distance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're, you're, I'm you're nearsighted like me. Okay. Yeah. I can't see far. So like, I mean, street signs, but I have Google Maps. So I just put it on in my car and I just follow Google Maps. <laughs> so I don't need to read signs anymore. Do you That's have the little X on your driver's light or in your uh, driver's license? No, no. For some reason, I they never really. I I passed the test somehow. There you go. Well, hopefully, there's no police officers listening. To this somehow, like extra squinting or, yeah. or I flirt Are a little bit, Valtoli? I get out. Yeah. We listen to your podcast, and we know that you should have an X. On yeah, your I know. Driver's license. Hopefully, none of them are listening. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, next week, UFC Ottawa. Tons of coverage on TSN on Sports Center. Uh, the card will air. I believe it's on TSN five, but uh, this weekend's card is on TSN two. It's uh, UFC Sunrise. Uh, our coverage, I believe, begins at 5 p.m. Eastern or 6 p.m. I think it's 6 p.m. Eastern. we got the pre-show. Yeah. 7 p.m. Eastern is the uh, late prelims, and then 9 p.m. Eastern is the main card, TSN2. Uh, Joe Valtellini or Joseph Valtellini on YouTube. Latest video, countering kick catches. Yep. If someone catches your kick, how do you get your leg out so you can attack again? You, you do one of those somersaults, right? That's what, you're doing? Uh, That's what you're training? I did one where you grab the leg and you kick with the other one. <laughs> I actually did that one. I posted it on my Instagram today, so check that one out. All right, check that out. And uh, Bazooka Kickboxing 680 Progress Road. Yep. Learn how to hurt somebody's leg very badly with some kicks. Absolutely. Thanks to Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Uh, until next week, I don't know. Ah, oh, I thought you had it. I was waiting for it. I thought the ending was there. Nope, it's more of a cliffhanger ending. Okay, just pause. The pause got... <laughs> Until next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.